0: previously on flying the line CEO Richard Ferris's 570 honor the united pilot picket line helping to bring an end to the pilot strike this podcast is brought to you by the airline pilots association alpa supports its pilots through a variety of resources including membership in union plus your gateway to saving money on everyday consumer products and services in the united states from cell phones to flowers car rentals to theme parks, there's a wide variety of discounts available for ALPA members. In Canada, Union Savings offers similar discounts as well. Sign into your member account at alpa.org and look for the Discounts and Promotions link under the Pilot Resources tab. Welcome to the Flying the Line podcast, a look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association. A Bridge from the Book, Flying the Line, Volume 2, by George E. Hopkins. Chapter 17. National Politics and Mergers. The Election of 1986 and Beyond, Part 1. Successful politics depend upon consensus and compromise, a willingness to exercise give and take. Because the solution will inevitably have losers, the structure of politics must accommodate them. The trick to successful politics lies in keeping passions from getting out of hand over non-essentials. Not an easy task. Historians can see these old political wars in dispassionate retrospection, but those who actually lived through them had a harder time of it. Once immersed in the entanglements of politics, where personal ambition, private vanity, and ego could fester unchecked, Warring factions can easily lose sight of the consensus they all know, deep down, they share. ALPA President Hank Duffy suggested in his opening remarks to the November 1986 Board of Directors meeting the need to realize that the enemy is out there, not in here. In what was sure to be a hotly contested election for ALPA's leadership, Duffy made the point that far more united the Union than divided it. Amid the disagreements over specific problems that confronted the profession, from the annoyances of crafting new seniority lists for the 12,000 ALPA members facing mergers, to Frank Lorenzo's ominous takeover of Eastern, Duffy emphasized the fundamental truth that airline pilots share basic interests. It was a nice try at diffusing the tension. During Hank Duffy's first term, He had labored under an internal political burden that complicated nearly every aspect of ALPA's mission. His narrow victory over J.J. O'Donnell in 1982 left ALPA with a divided executive committee. Tom Ashwood, the TWA pilot and O'Donnell protege who emerged as ALPA's first vice president, anchored an anti-Duffy faction that always regarded his victory as a fluke. Duffy's critics believed that either Ashwood or Jack Bavis, ALPA's executive administrator, could easily have won ALPA's presidency in 1982 if O'Donnell had not sought a fourth term. Nonetheless, as the 1986 election approached, they saw Duffy as vulnerable. But Hank Duffy thought otherwise. Thanks to United's pilots, the delegates had some breathing space for calm reflection. Likewise. The phasing down of the financial burden caused by the Continental Strike, which would eventually cost ALPA $70 million, bought Duffy some slack. If the BOD delegates would only step back from the intense struggles of the recent past and consider his leadership on its merits, he believed he would win another term. Duffy effectively began his 1986 ALPA presidential campaign at the November 1985 Executive Board meeting. Relieved that for the first time he was addressing the delegates without some major crisis brewing, Duffy could point with pride to ALPA's successes. He justifiably cited the newly established $100 million Major Contingency Fund, or War Chest, and ALPA's increasing expertise in protecting pilots threatened with corporate takeovers as reasons for re electing him. Duffy's opening remarks also contained a strong endorsement for close ties with the AFL-CIO and promised continued support for unemployed pilots, particularly those from Continental. He called on the attending MEC chairs to use their leverage with their managements to place these fellow pilots in jobs at their airlines. Tom Ashwood, who followed Duffy to the podium for his address as ALPA's first vice president, adopted a less upbeat tone particularly regarding the Continental strike. He countered that ALPA had lost this one. A peculiar feature of the 1986 election was that for the first time in ALPA's history, all national officers would be elected to simultaneous four-year terms. Historically, ALPA had favored staggered terms to preserve continuity, but internal changes in governance had lessened the need for that safeguard. Consequently the opportunity to make a sweeping mid-course correction was never better. But Duffy expected no such outcome. Despite trivial criticism by rank-and-file pilots, part of the historical baggage all sitting presidents carried, Duffy was confident that the BOD delegates, who generally had a more sophisticated understanding of Alpa's difficulties, would re-elect him. Then the unexpected happened. Complications arose in the Northwest Republic airline merger. Short of bankruptcy and unemployment, nothing disrupted ALPA's internal politics like mergers. Acrimony, bitterness, paranoid suspicions, all these and more have resulted from mergers. Making matters worse, ALPA has always been the scapegoat for pilots dissatisfied with mergers. Since Hank Duffy's election in 1982, aside from the continuing trouble with Frank Lorenzo, ALPA's single most contentious internal political issue had been the wave of deregulation-generated mergers. Honoring a campaign promise to be more responsive to the membership, Duffy spent a lot of time personally answering letters of complaint during his first term. The angriest letters in Alpha's overflowing President's file concerned mergers, some of them long past. In 1987, Jack Feeling, a former Northeast Airlines pilot who came to Delta in the 1972 merger, wrote such a letter to Duffy. His old resentments stirred anew by the 1986 Delta-Western merger, feeling resigned from ALPA over what he saw as the injustice of ALPA's merger policy and the resolution of seniority conflicts. Duffy responded to feeling that in both the Delta-Northeast and Delta-Western mergers, both pilot groups sent merger representatives to achieve not only the best for their own pilots, but also a fair and equitable settlement. He added that the ALPA merger policy is fair and provides due process with an ultimate decision by a neutral party. He added that to blame the union and to resign from it over a single issue was extremely short-sighted, that there are too many forces at work attempting to tear down the profession for its members to fight amongst themselves. Duffy was obviously forgetting yet another political truth, that all politics is local. At some airlines, merger fights so blinded pilots to the principles of conciliation and compromise that they actually sought to decertify ALPA. At TWA, for example, trouble involving the 1986 Ozark merger forced MEC chair Harry Hoaglander to doggedly beat back a decertification effort by a splinter group calling itself the Airline Pilots' Union. This episode was eerily reminiscent of a similar attempt, led by Walden Golian, a disaffected Alpha pioneer, to form a splinter union called the TWA Pilots Association in 1933. Airline mergers have produced some unusual feuds over the years. For example, the 1953 merger of Delta and Chicago and Southern Airlines caused an unlikely falling out between Charles Dolson and Stuart Hopkins. Two ALPA pioneers. Before moving on to airline careers, Dolson and Hopkins had served together as U.S. Navy carrier pilots in the late 1920s. Each man had organized his airline for ALPA in 1935, quite remarkable feats considering the hostility towards unions that characterized the South. Dolson went to work for American in 1931, a year before Hopkins signed on with Pacific Seaboard Airlines. However, Dolson was furloughed due to the airmail cancellations of 1934. He hired on with Delta in 1935, but Hopkins transitioned to Chicago and Southern, which Pacific Seaboard acquired in 1934. When Dolson's broken service with American was disallowed, that made Hopkins one number senior on the new Delta list. Dolson was furious. Now keep in mind, Neither man had ever flown co-pilot for anybody, and their trivial seniority difference had no practical effect whatsoever on their professional careers. Dolson would rise from Delta's chief pilot to chair of the Delta Airlines Board of Directors. Hopkins was no slouch either. Not only did he become an admiral in the naval reserves, but he also served as ALPA's first vice president and was an authentic kingmaker in ALPA politics who almost single-handedly saved Charlie Ruby from being recalled in 1966. But that one number annoyed Dolson to his dying day. At least veteran pilots like Hopkins and Dolson didn't sue each other over seniority problems. By the 1980s, pilots unhappy with a merged list were quick to file lawsuits against Alpha. The 1986 Delta-Western merger, which stirred up Jack Feeling's old resentments, generated a long, complicated, and expensive lawsuit that did nothing except enrich lawyers. Ironically, the disaffected Western pilots, consisting mostly of a contingent based in Salt Lake City, would almost certainly have been without jobs if Delta had not acquired their airline. Western almost surely would have followed Braniff into oblivion otherwise. But no matter ALPA would wind up on the receiving end of yet another lawsuit that would require justification of its merger policy before a federal court. In February 1990, a federal judge would dismiss a lawsuit commonly known as Pilots for a Fair Seniority List. With some exasperation, the judge ruled that there was an irrationality about lawsuits challenging ALPA's merger policy. Perhaps the judge was only saying what everybody who had ever examined merger disputes already knew, that some animosities would persist until the last pilot involved retired. Nothing illustrated the inherent contentiousness of mergers better than the Northwest-Republic merger of 1986. Like Western, Republic was flirting with bankruptcy when Northwest acquired it. The merger of the two which operated different equipment because of their differing root structures and histories, generated a bitter political fight that spilled over into ALPA's 1986 election. For all the controversy that ALPA's merger policy has generated over the years, nothing particularly complicated or sinister underlies its principles. It called for negotiations between the two affected pilot groups, who ideally would agree on a new integrated seniority list. But what if they couldn't agree? Then, ALPA policy specified binding arbitration by a neutral third party chosen by the principals. ALPA recommended, but did not require, that the negotiators and arbitrators consider certain guidelines in making a settlement. Always high on the list of these factors were the two hallmarks of airline pilot seniority, date of hire and length of service. As is usually true of such seemingly simple and straightforward guidelines, the devil was in the details. What, for example, should be done about a conflict between date of hire and length of service? Which should take priority? During the 1980 merger of Pan American and National, some furloughed Pan Am pilots had dates of hire earlier than National pilots who had longer length of service. Further merger complications involved class and craft considerations, to use traditional labor terminology. What should be done about a Pan Am pilot with 20 years of unbroken service who, because of the airline's stagnant promotion list, held the rank of only first officer, while a national pilot, with 10 years of unbroken service, held a captaincy? Should the first officer and captain lists be integrated separately? And what about gross disparities in equipment flown by two merging airlines? Should Northwest be required to upgrade, at tremendous expense, a Republic DC-9 captain to the B-747, even though he was nearing retirement? Clearly, rigid adherence to merger guidelines in all cases was impractical. After all, the purpose of mergers was economic to ensure the survival of an airline to preserve pilots' jobs. But putting together a merged seniority list was a complex process. What should be done about timetables for complying with upgrade training on new equipment, verification of employment data for accuracy, and dozens of other technical details? And finally, what should Alpa do about an arbitrator who does something truly contentious? The bitter 1986 merger between Air Wisconsin and Mississippi Valley, two small airlines with fewer than 100 pilots each, stands as a case in point. Because the pilots could not agree on a merged seniority list, the final decision fell to an arbitrator who imposed a settlement that left 15-year Air Wisconsin First Officers flying co-pilot for Mississippi Valley captains with just seven years of service. Air Wisconsin's outraged pilots blamed ALPA, not their own negotiators' hard nosed insistence on adding the Mississippi Valley pilots to the bottom of the Air Wisconsin list. Eventually, ALPA had to impose a trusteeship over the merged airline after the Air Wisconsin pilots, who outnumbered the Mississippi Valley group by five pilots, voted to pull out of ALPA to overturn the arbitrator's decision. With ALPA's good faith on the line, Hank Duffy had no choice but to resist their move and appoint United's formidable Cliff Sanderson as trustee. All this happened because the breakdown of direct negotiations between the two pilot groups threw the final decision into the hands of an arbitrator who blew it. Such are the hazards of letting outsiders decide things. Next time on Flying the Line... The use of a contracted law firm becomes a wedge issue in ALPA's 1986 presidential elections. Thank you for listening. This has been Chapter 17, Part 1 of Flying the Line 2 by George E. Hopkins, copyright 2000. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. To listen and subscribe to more in this series, please check us out online at alpa.org or find us on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, this is the Flying the Line podcast. A look into the past of the Airline Pilots Association International. Production Copyright Alpha 2024. All rights reserved.